to be with us today as we study your word, that the Holy Spirit would teach us and guide us and, and um, again, take away the cares of this world. We, we all have many cares and troubles and things that are on our mind with our family members and friends and maybe even things that we're personally going through that, that uh, no one else knows, oh Lord. And we just lift these things up to thee and we pray that you would minister us, minister to us, we who are your people, through your word. And Oh Lord, if there's any of your lost sheep that, that will be here or, or will hear these messages, Lord, oh, if it's your will to, to grant them faith and that they might turn to thee, Lord, and uh, see their desperate need for thee. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, open your Bibles, if you would, to First Peter. First Peter. Today we'll be in chapter 5. The name of the message today is an exhortation to elders. An exhortation to elders. And today we'll begin the closing chapter of this, this wonderful epistle. It's been a great joy to go through it. And remember that this letter is written to God-suffering saints who are scattered through abroad in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, and who are the elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father through sanctification of the Spirit and obedience and sprinkling of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this epistle applies to the church all through the ages because all of God's people have suffered unjustly for their faith. All of God's people. We suffer unjustly for our faith, bearing the reproach of Christ. And uh, we've all went through suffering. We all go through trials. We all go through tribulations, whether it be our health or whether it be, again, being reproached for, for what we believe. And so we've seen Peter contrasting the suffering saints, the suffering of the saints to the sufferings of Christ. And last week we looked at how our suffering, our trials, our fiery trials, uh, just as it was for the saints of old, Peter implies that these trials and tribulations in our life are, are like us being put through a furnace. That's why he called them fiery trials. Fiery trials. And they're used to refine us, like like the smith when he refines gold, puts it into a furnace, and, and it becomes refined. And let us remember, though, that amidst all our trials and all our tribulations, that our great God is watching over us. He's watching over us. He's keeping us. And he does this so these trials don't consume us. Because they would. They would. But he keeps us. And he takes us home to glory when it's his due time. So with that in mind, let us consider the first four verses of this wonderful chapter, 1 Peter chapter 5. And this chapter will close this wonderful book. There will be a few lessons in it. And Peter, having finished his general exhortation to the saints, which chiefly concerned patient suffering for Christ amidst trials, and we see that as a constant thread through this book, we've looked at how every chapter Peter deals with suffering every chapter so it's a good epistle for us to read when we're in the midst of trials or tribulations so he's finished his general exhortation to the saints which again chiefly concerned patient suffering for Christ amidst trials and he exhorted the suffering saints to submit to civil authorities 
and servants to their masters and husbands and wives mutually to each other. He now proceeds to exhort the elders to the discharge of their office and duty and calling. Elders here are not the elder in age or the more older brethren in the churches, but men in office whose whose calling it is to feed the flock, to preach the word of God. The apostle, as an elder himself, he calls upon the elders, that is again preachers again, not the elder in faith or age, to feed Christ's flock. To feed Christ's flock and to love the brethren and to not lord over them and to wait upon the Lord's return, being faithful to the calling that the Lord has called them to. So let's consider the first four verses this morning. We'll read them. First Peter 5, verses 1 to 4. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy care, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Now take note of something very telling here, of the humility of the apostle Peter. Now let's remember who Peter was. He, he was with the Lord. He was witness. He was with the Lord. He was one of the one of the ones who was allowed to be on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was one of the closer inner circles, you could say, of the apostles. And note the humility here of Peter. He exhorts the fellow elders, preachers, and notice he does not vault himself above them. What does he do? He puts himself among them. He puts himself himself among them in the same position as they are calling himself an elder as well. Isn't that wonderful? Now, he had authority, didn't he? But he doesn't exercise it. He's leading right with them. Right in their midst. And that's wonderful. That's wonderful. The elders which are among you, I exhort who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He doesn't even mention his apostleship. He says, I'm an elder too. I love that. What humility Peter brings forth here. What humility. The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Now, this is Peter again. He's one of the apostles, and he's writing this, and yet he does not exercise authority as being an apostle, but he puts himself again in the same place as the other preachers. I'm an elder with you. The apostles were elders, but they're also, they were, they were apostles, but they were also elders. And those who are mentioned in the Bible those who call themselves apostles today are nothing but liars and charlatans. There's only the apostles that are mentioned. And they are elders also, but there's no more apostles. And those who say they're apostles today, and there's people out there who do that, they're just they're charlatans, beloved. They're liars. Because the only apostles mentioned are the apostles in the scriptures. 
But this is wonderful how Peter does not exalt himself over the other elders. This is how it should be in the body of Christ. This is how it should be. We are one in Christ. We're all saved sinners, washed clean and forgiven by God, all because of his precious blood. We have one shepherd and one bishop of our souls. And one preacher is not to vault himself over other preachers. It's not to be. It's not to be. It's wrong. It's wrong. Nor should one preacher allow another preacher to control them. That's wrong too. Jean-Claude said to me something a long time ago, and Donnie Bell told me the same thing years and years ago. You have to be your own man. You can't be controlled by people or other preachers. And it's so true. It's so true. So note Peter, he has authority as an apostle, but he doesn't, he's not vaulting over these other preachers. It's wonderful. This just makes my heart warm. It's, it's wonderful. So truly, Paul's words for the saints of God apply to all the saints. Turn, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And notice too in, our, in, in what Peter's writing here. He's exhorting them in love, beloved. He's exhorting them in love. He's not, he's not, he's not being coming down on them and, and hammering them. No, he's exhorting them in love. We are truly to esteem others better than ourselves, beloved. We are truly to do that. We see Peter doing that here, don't we? He doesn't say, well, I'm the... I'm the uh, Apostle Peter, so you must therefore bow to what I say. He's not going to say that at all, does he? He doesn't exalt himself as Pope over all the other preachers, does he? No. Not at all. He does not esteem himself better than, than, than others. He sees himself as a fellow laborer. Look at this in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 and 13. And we beseech you, brethren... To know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Notice that. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. God puts men into positions as preachers to be over the flock of God be over the flock of God, and to esteem them very highly in love, in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Let's go back to our, our text in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. Again, it says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Peter again here calls himself an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and of the glory of Christ. He was with the Lord all the days of his ministry. And, his, and he was at his transfiguration. He was a witness of what Christ did upon this earth. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 26. Peter was with the Lord in the garden and he saw the great sorrow in his soul and of his agony and the bloody sweat in the garden. Look at this in Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 to 37. And then we'll turn to John 18 after that. Matthew 26, 36 and 37. Then cometh Jesus 
with them to a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit, sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Verse 37. Look at that. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. So he was witness to the sufferings of Christ. Turn, if you would, to John 18. He saw the Lord's apprehension and the binding by the officers and soldiers. And he saw Judas betray Christ. He was there in the high priest's hall when our Lord was mocked and blindfolded, buffeted, and smote upon the face. Look at this in John 18, verses 15 and 16. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without, then went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door and bought in Peter. John 18, verses 15 and 16. So Peter saw some of the sufferings that Christ went through. But Peter also had suffered reproach for being a disciple of Christ, for being a follower of the way, which oftentimes happens to God's people. Let's go back to our text in in 1 Peter chapter 5. I'll read it again, verse 1. The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. So remember, all through this epistle, what has Peter been bringing forth? He's been bringing forth the suffering of Christ and how the saints will suffer for the cause of Christ. Let's start a little review here. Let's turn back to chapter 1 in 1 Peter. He's brought forth before these beloved saints the fact of Christ's suffering for them. It, this is a continuous thing that he brings forth, knowing that the only way for the saints to be comforted in their sufferings is to know that Christ suffered for them. What do preachers always tell you? and What do preachers always tell me when I listen to preachers? Look to Christ. Look to Christ. No matter what you're going through, look to Christ. Keep your eyes upon Christ. Don't get your eyes on the circumstances. Get your eyes on Christ. Get, get them on him. Look at this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 11. He's, he brings forth the Christ's suffering for them on the cross. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them to signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Now we know that Christ is the sinless sacrifice and he suffered upon Calvary's cross for my sins, the believer's sins, and for the sins of all the elect. Look at 1 Peter 2, verses 19 to 21. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure great suffering Endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if, when ye are buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if, when ye do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Notice he contrasts again the suffering that the saints are going through with the suffering of Christ. And then look at verses 23 and 24 in the same chapter. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. 
when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously, who his own self bear our sins. Remember, this is the sinless one. This is the spotless lamb of God, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Now look at chapter 3, in verses 17 and 18. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that she suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Again, we see him bringing forth to the suffering saints the fact that Christ has suffered for our sins. And then look at 1 Peter 4.1. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that has suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. And then let's go back to our text again in verse 1. For the connection. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Peter knew what he was talking about when he was talking about the sufferings of Christ. He saw it. He saw it. He saw him bearing reproach. He saw him wrongly accused. He heard it. He saw him suffer for the sins of his people. And also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. So we see here Peter bringing forth before the brethren, the fact that the servant is not above the master. And we know that our Lord suffered reproach unjustly, therefore we will suffer reproach for our faith. And we're suffered unjustly. This is a major theme in this epistle, the suffering saint, contrasted with the suffering of Christ. And when we compare what we suffer through to what he suffered for us, it doesn't even come close. It doesn't even come close. Someone might say, well, I'm not suffering through anything right now. Well, you will. You will. You will. All God's people suffer through things. Oh, my. We don't like it, do we? <laughs> but we, we, we ask the Lord to give us grace and strength, and whether it be health-wise or mental or... Or, or just dealing with, with people reproaching us for our faith is hard. It's hard. Sometimes I think mental agony is so hard. Things can, we can get so twisted and turned around, can't we? Oh my, Lord, keep my eyes on Christ. Keep my eyes on Christ. So again, Peter sets the reader's mind upon Christ. Now remember, these, they received this letter, it would be read among them, so he's setting the readers' minds or the listeners' minds upon Christ, and what a comfort this would be. He reminds them that the suffering that they are going through will soon fade away. It'll soon fade away. Because they are to be a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Note this, the elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. 
that shall be revealed. Calvin brings forth some good points about this verse in his commentary. In exhorting pastors to the duty, he points out especially three vices which are found to prevail much, even sloth, desire of gain, and lust for power. In opposition to the first vice, he sets eagerness or willing attention to the second, liberality to the third, moderation and meekness by which they are to keep themselves in their own rank or station. So this is an exhortation to elders. Note in the next three verses in this exhortation, in the warning in these three verses here, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy liquor, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So the gospel preacher is to be always ready to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Always ready. With the thought of feeding the sheep of God. And this will prevent laziness among the preacher because this is our desire. And so we search the scriptures and study the word of God to feed the sheep of God. And we as preachers are to be content where God places us. Where God places us. We are to be content with what we have in life. The preacher is not to lust for power or fame or notoriety or influence with other preachers. They are to faithfully labor where God has called them to be. That's where they're to labor. And to labor there faithfully. Faithfully. Faithfully proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this in verse 2 with those thoughts in mind. Feed the flock of God. Feed the flock of God which is among you. So where you're placed, feed the flock of God. Feed them. And how does a preacher feed the flock of God? By preaching the gospel. By proclaiming Christ. Taking the oversight thereof. Leading them. Not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy liquor, but of a ready mind. I remember when I was in Oregon, Brother Donnie Bell told me to faithfully preach the gospel when I was there. He said, you faithfully preach the gospel. When the Lord called me here, he gave me the same charge. He gave me the same charge. You are just to be faithful to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where you are placed. Where you're placed. Again, how does one feed the sheep of God? We preach Christ and Christ alone. We feed the flock where we are called. And God, by his sovereign power, places the preacher where he wants the preacher to be. God does this. The preacher doesn't do this. The preacher is just a vessel at the disposal of the Lord. And God takes and places the preacher wherever he is pleased to place that preacher. Two and a half years ago, he was pleased to place me here, to move me from Oregon and to place me here, to take Brother Jim and to place him at 13th Street, to take Bill and place him in Georgia. And he was pleased to do that. It pleased God to do that. 
And if someone has a problem with a pastor being placed in a certain place, do you know what they really have a problem with? God's sovereignty. That's really what they have a problem with. Because it's not the preacher's fault. We just get put wherever we get put. <laughs> and the Lord's pleased to do that. But if a person has a problem, a person who professes to be a believer has a problem with a pastor being placed in a certain place, they really have a problem with the sovereignty of God. Because it is he, and every preacher will tell you this, it's he who moves the preacher to wherever he wants that preacher to be. It's his work. This is his church. He's in charge. And he can do whatever he pleases. And every preacher will tell you this. Every preacher will tell you this. We were all, we were all talking, the three of us preachers were talking, and how we're, we're perfectly content where God has us. We're perfectly content. And this is where God's placed me. I don't plan on going nowhere. But this is where God's got me. And it's absolutely wonderful. No preacher plans on going anywhere, but when God moves them, they go. They go. So when a preacher is placed where God wants him to be, this is his charge right here, to feed the sheep of God. And, and what do God's sheep feast on? They feast on the green pastures of his word, don't they? They feast on the green pastures of his word. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And take note, the preacher is to feed the flock of God, which is among you. And God's sheep, they feast on the gospel, beloved. They feast on the gospel. You don't want to hear anything else but me preaching Christ. Because <laughs> that's what you feast on. That's what you feast on. Now the hypocrite will murmur and complain, while God's sheep are content to sit and rejoice. But the fault finder and the and the hypocrite will murmur and complain. Murmur and complain. And meanwhile, the sheep's over there just feasting on the gospel message. <laughs> just loving it. Just absolutely loving it. Well, the hypocrite will cause trouble and bring false accusations against the brethren. And then there's the sheep just feasting. Just feasting on the word of God. Think of this. Just as we take in food to nourish our bodies, so we who are born-again, blood-washed believers... Feast upon the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how many times? We do it four times a week here, don't we? We have, we have a buffet four times a week. We feast on the word of God. We feast on the word of God. And it's wonderful for the believer. Absolutely wonderful. And note the preacher is to take oversight. We see in this verse, not by constraint, but willingly. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. Now, feeding is a comprehensive term for the whole service of the ministry. To watch over the flock is to know the sheep and be acquainted with them in their spiritual state, to minister to them and watch over them, to warn them of any pitfalls that they may be prone to stumble into. It is to pray for them and with them, to make time to be with them, to bear their burdens with them. And what an example our Lord is. Our ever great high priest keeps the whole of his sheepfold in his everlasting arms, watching over them and interceding for them. And elders are to take leadership of the church, not by pressure or constraint. They're not to be a heavy-handed authoritarian. That's not how it is. That's really not how it is. We see that. 
Peter could have exercised apostolic authority, couldn't he? He could have just laid the hammer down, but he didn't. Now, there's a time and place to do that when error creeps up amongst the church. There's a time and place to do that. But the elders are to take leadership of the church, again, not by pressure or constraint, but willingly. Willingly. Not motivated by advantage or pay or personal power, but, but for the glory of God. And, and the elder is to, to preach and to, and to feed the sheep of God with a joyful spirit. With a joyful spirit. They are to esteem others better than themselves. So I'm no better than you all. God has called me to this position. He's called me to lead. Right? But I am a saved sinner just like every one of you who profess Christ. I'm saved by the same blood. It's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. And the gospel preacher does this with a cheerful spirit, and he does this willingly because they are sent of God and they are equipped of God to do these things. Again, they do not do it for money or gain or fame. They do it out of service for our great God and King. And the elder is to be ready to serve him who has redeemed our souls with his own precious blood. And the elder desires the sheep of God to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my hope, is that you would grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brother Norm says, what are we preparing God's people for? Their promotion. Their promotion. For the day that you will see Christ. Keep your eyes upon that. Keep your eyes upon Christ, upon Christ and him alone. And our hope is that you grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Note in verse 3, the elder is not to lord over the flock. They are, because the flock is God's heritage. It's God's heritage. We're to be examples to the flock. Neither is being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. Again, pastors are not to rule with an iron fist. They're just not to do that over God's people. They're not to rule as though they were kings and lords over God's people. Unfortunately, there are some who do that. But that's not to be. There to be examples and patterns of love, kindness, honesty, doctrinal soundness, and they are to lead the church. They are to lead the church. Scripture says this, For the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. The Lord's heritage or portion is his people. Beloved. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. This is the people. The Lord saith, I have formed for myself. For myself. They shall show forth my praise. Now let's close with verse 4. Look at this. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Again, here we see Peter bringing forth before the suffering saints and the elders whom he is exhorting here the fact that we all have one shepherd. We all have one shepherd. Every one of God's blood-bought people have one shepherd. Just one. One. The preacher's just an under-shepherd, beloved. We have one shepherd. He's called the chief shepherd. The chief shepherd. That should do away with anyone wanting to run things and run other churches, eh? Right there. There's one chief shepherd. 
And Peter brings forth that he's coming again. He's coming again, beloved. Pastors and shepherds in the scriptures, where, where pastors are called shepherds in the scriptures, but really, again, we're the under-shepherd because Christ is the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. And when he shall appear, the faithful pastors and elders shall hear the master say, well done. Well, just like every other sheep of God will hear the same thing. Well done. Isn't that wonderful? Wonderful, beloved. Oh, and note the latter part of this verse, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Now much is made in religions about crowns and rewards. My gosh, they just, oh, I, I'm just not even going to get into that nonsense because that's all it is. It's a bunch of nonsense, beloved. Just absolute nonsense. But think upon this, that even the highest and best servants in the Lord's house, whether apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, we have no claim to a reward by our own doing. None at all, do we? And I'm talking the best servants of the Lord. They have no claim to a reward. No claim to a reward from the Lord because our, even our best service is tainted with sin. And it needs to be pardoned by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord taught this to his disciples. Look at this in Luke chapter 17. I, I, I like taking people here that like to pop off about rewards and all that. I love taking them to this little portion right here. Luke 17. Because th this is the master's words, beloved. And... and I want you to ponder a question after, as, as we read these words, who can say I'm going to get a reward from the Lord for what I do? Okay? Think of that. Think of that. Because there's a lot of people out there who say that, isn't there? And like I say, it's just a bunch of nonsense. Look at this. Because Christ is our reward, beloved. Christ is our reward. Look at this in Luke 17, verses 7 to 10. But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him, by and by, when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meet. It will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he think that servant, because he did the things that were commanded him? I throw not. So likewise, when ye have done all these things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. <laughs> Doesn't that not just, that just, boom, there it just lays everything out, hey. All these folks thinking they're going to get all these rewards for these things they're supposedly doing. Beloved, we're all unprofitable servants. <laughs> we have done that which was our duty to do. So, so after reading those words, how can one say, I'm going to get a reward from the Lord for all these things I do? We're, we're all unprofitable servants, beloved. <laughs> And those, we're all in the same field. We're all on the same level playing field there, right? Oh, my. Oh, this crown of glory is God's eternal glory and happiness in like, uh, uh, like the crown of righteousness. Scripture says this, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, not only to me only, but unto, them, unto all them that love his appearing. Christ is our reward, beloved. Christ is our reward. And it shall be all those who love his appearing. Do you love his appearing? And the reward of the believer is Christ, again, in Christ alone. And because of that, we give all the glory to our great God and King. Heavenly Father, we thank thee again for this wonderful time and this little epistle as we 
see the suffering saints constantly by our dear brother Peter being pointed to Christ and Christ alone. Oh, we pray that through the preaching of your words, that your Lord, that your people will be built up and established in the faith, and that they grow, grow in the grace and knowledge and truth of thee, Lord. We love thee and we praise thee for your goodness and mercy and grace to us in Jesus' name. Amen.